Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Hello, friends. Thanks so much for tuning into Health Mystery Solved. I am so honored you can join me, and I'm really excited for today's episode. We made it through 26 episodes, so half the year. Woohoo! And on many of the cases over the last six months, we talked about symptoms like fatigue and weight gain, brain fog, and digestion, just to name a few. Those cases involved lots of factors like deficiencies, toxins, infections, and our endocrine system, thyroid being one of the organs in the mix. Thyroid is such an important gland, and unfortunately, as much as we think we understand it, there is still so much confusion about it, and so many people are overlooked and completely missed for issues with hypothyroidism, which is a slow thyroid, and Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune that affects the thyroid, and they continue to suffer with multiple symptoms that can be easily fixed with the right approach. Unfortunately, not every doctor is measuring all of the markers, which is why so many people are told their thyroid is fine and that it's not their issue, but that's not the case and they're not properly diagnosed. And because the ranges are wide and there's confusion about how to read the labs is what makes the thyroid seem even more mysterious, but it doesn't have to be this way. And today I'm excited to give you the explanation you need to hear. I will break everything down for you, bust tons of myths, and demystify this mystery of the thyroid so that you can fully understand what it means, what labs you need, and how you can read them so you can be your own health advocate. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Thyroid disease affects more than 13 million Americans, yet more than half remain undiagnosed. More and more people are coming in with symptoms of hypothyroidism, and so I'm bringing you all of the facts that you need to know because it's very likely that perhaps you or someone you know may be affected by this. Now, does this sound familiar? You go to the doctor because you were having symptoms that can be associated with a slow thyroid, but after running a blood test, they say your thyroid is just fine. This happens so often, but it's not always the case that it's fine, and we need to properly evaluate it. We often think about thyroid for energy and metabolism, but it's actually responsible for so much more than that, like your digestive system, your brain, your skin, and almost everything from your head to your toes. 
the thyroid manufactures and stores calcitocin, which regulates calcium from your bones. It keeps stomach acid at a good level because when stomach acid is low, we can have issues with absorption or with dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of flora in the gut and issues with slow transit time and constipation. The liver and the thyroid also have a give and take relationship. A well-functioning thyroid gland is necessary to keep liver excreting the toxins that it accumulates. The liver is also the location where 60% of thyroid hormone conversion takes place. So a sluggish liver can lead back to a low thyroid in this vicious cycle. Now also, egg quality, along with achieving and maintaining pregnancy. Once the fetus is formed, it does not start producing thyroid hormones until the second trimester. So it's dependent on the mother's thyroid hormones. Now, symptoms of an underactive thyroid are really vast, but here's a few that I want to give you. So things like fatigue, sluggishness, weakness, dry skin, brittle nails, hair loss, or a lot of like dry or coarse hair, increased sensitivity to cold, constipation, memory problems, or heavy trouble thinking clearly, heavy or irregular menstrual periods, an enlarged thyroid, weight gain, swelling, especially of the arms, hands, legs, or feet. Also facial puffiness, especially around the eyes can be related to thyroid. A hoarseness in the voice, muscle aches or cramps, low blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, infertility, and sleep irregularities. That was a doozy. That's a lot of symptoms. So why are so many people misdiagnosed or completely missed when screened for hypothyroidism? Well, To understand this question, we have to look at the various definition of hypothyroidism as well as basic thyroid physiology. And don't worry, all in layman's terms. So the definition of hypothyroidism is a medical condition where the thyroid gland makes insufficient thyroid hormone. So basically doesn't make enough thyroid hormone. The most popular method is to directly check output through a blood test measuring TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. If this falls outside of your physician's range, only then will you be considered for medication or other support. The problem is that there are various discrepancy between lab ranges and also doctors' opinions. In 2002, the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists redefined normal range of TSH to be between 0.3 and 3.0. However, most labs still use a reference range between about 0.5 and 4.5 as suggested to be normal for doctors. This means that a level of 3.5 would be considered normal by your doctor, while tons of research over the last 10 years found that we would benefit from thyroid assistance if our level is above 3. Many people experiencing the common symptoms of hypothyroidism have been told that despite their symptoms, they do not have an underactive thyroid gland because their thyroid blood tests are within the normal range. Some may have even been told that their symptoms are part of the normal aging process. Ugh, I hate when that happens. So those people may actually have a condition called subclinical hypothyroidism. In this condition, a person may have all of the symptoms of hypothyroidism, and yet the hormones tested via blood do not suggest a problem. In subclinical hypothyroidism, there is a partial decrease in the thyroid gland's ability to produce enough hormone to make the body's metabolism work at 100% efficiency, hence an individual will be symptomatic. Uh, Why are these results not matching the symptoms? The first problem is the normal range for TSH, which we just discussed. The second problem is that TSH is just the beginning and only shows a part of the full thyroid picture. It has not yet become common practice for many doctors to run 
all the thyroid markers. But without running multiple hormones in a pathway, such as total and free T4, T3, and reverse T3, effectiveness is assumed rather than proven. Luckily, there is a specific reason for each pathway breach. So comparing the levels relative to one another is not only very informative, but necessary in defining the problem area. So in order to understand what all of those total and freeze mean, I want to first explain how thyroid hormone gets produced. Now stay with me. I promise I'll make this quick and easy. Believe it or not, the process of thyroid hormone production actually starts in the brain, where your hypothalamus sends a message to your pituitary gland via a hormone called TRH. Once the pituitary receives it, it then sends a signal to your thyroid via a hormone called TSH, a marker that you guys recognize that we just talked about. So TSH is the most common marker used in conventional lab testing to measure thyroid function, but as you'll see it's really seldom sufficient. So once the pituitary sends a message to the thyroid via the TSH, the thyroid produces two substances, T4 and T3. T3 is the active hormone that's needed by the body and can be absorbed and used by your cells, while T4 is called a prohormone, which has to be converted to T3 in order to be used. So the body's very smart and it produces 93% T4 and only 7% T3. And people will say, well, wait a minute. Why is that the case? If T3 is active, why would we produce so little? Well, this is because if T3 was produced by the thyroid at once, it would be used up by the cells in the thyroid and never get a chance to get around to the rest of the body where this T3 is also needed. Remember, thyroid hormone was needed for every cell in the body from your head to your toes. So once the hormones are produced, they don't usually hang out on their own, but they will quickly get bound to different proteins. So think of hormones like children. If you had a small child, would you let them roam around on the street by themselves? No, right? You would want to chaperone them and drive them places. So with hormones, they also need a chaperone or a vehicle to get around. So a good way to visualize this is think of the hormones as kind of getting like on a bus. And then the bus is going to drive them to where they need to go. So once the T3 and T4 are produced, they will hop on the bus. And the bus takes them to the liver where most of the conversion takes place. And T4 is converted to T3, which is how most of our T3 is created. Now, in order for this to happen, good liver function is mandatory. And since the liver works like a filter, it needs to be cleaned periodically to prevent any accumulation of toxins. Also, the enzyme that converts T4 to T3 is selenium dependent, which is why adequate levels of this mineral are also important for proper conversion. About 60% of T4 is converted into the active T3. But 20% or even more, if certain people have issues, can be converted to something called reverse T3. So reverse T3 acts sort of like the opposite of T3, and it prevents T3 from doing its job. So think of the reverse T3 sort of like an overflow valve, but if we produce too much, it's going to offset how much normal T3 we have. And then the last 20% of T4 gets converted in the gut. And so we need good intestinal function and good bacteria balance in order for that to take place properly. Now, once converted, T3 gets bound to proteins, meaning that it jumps back on that bus. And then the bus drives around the body looking for cells that need thyroid hormone. When the bus gets to a cell that needs the hormone, the T3 jumps off the bus, knocks on the door, which is like the cell receptor, 
and then absorbs in. And when the hormones are on the bus and bound, they're called total, like total T4 and total T3. However, when they hop off the bus to become available to the cells, they're called free T4 and free T3. So there you have it. Now you know what all those little T's and big T's mean. Now we also have what we call feedback loops. So once your body sees there's enough T4, it's supposed to signal back to the pituitary to say, hey, pituitary, we have enough T4, please stop producing TSH. This will allow TSH to remain in a normal range, signaling to the body that we have enough T4. But as you can see from everything we were just talking about, the T4 needs to convert to T3, which is the active hormone. That T3 then needs to travel to the cells on the bus and then get absorbed in. So we can't assume that just because we have normal T4 and because of that, the normal TSH, that we're necessarily converting to T3 properly, right? There's so many people that don't have enough T3, which is essential. And if we don't test T3, we would never know that there's an issue. Also, due to a lot of things like inflammation and stress, our bodies may be converting too much of the T4 into reverse T3. Now remember, reverse T3 makes our regular T3 less usable. So having a high reverse T3, even when T3 is normal, can still be problematic because the T3 is gonna be low in relativity. And to take this even a step further, some doctors will only test for free T3 and free T4, but not the totals. And the issue there is that because things like inflammation, we sometimes can have a lot of free hormones in the blood, but they may not be getting into the cells. So it can be very deceiving when you see a normal or a high range of the freeze if you don't test the total. You always want to look at the totals in the freeze and kind of look to see do they align. Because if you have a lot of free hormones and very low total, it's actually an indication that they're not getting into the cell. This is something called hormone resistance. And that's why you need to look at both. Now, as you can see, this is quite a process that happens from the beginning of thyroid hormone production to the end result of the hormone getting into the cell where it belongs. So looking at this, I am sure that you could see very clearly why measuring TSH alone can often be so misleading. And various problems are often missed, leaving as many as 50% of people not properly diagnosed and without the proper support. I have people coming in to see me from all types of doctors, endocrinologists and various specialists asking for my interpretation. And we find that they do have underlying issues. And when we look at the whole picture, we can actually solve what's happening. And I'm not telling you this to impress you, but really more to impress upon you the importance of looking at all of the markers so that we can truly see the whole picture. Now, it's essential that we look at all of the hormones down the line to see what else can be off. Any regular lab, such as Quest or LabCorp, has the ability to measure the rest of the hormones so we could see if there's any breaks in the pathways. So when visiting your doctor or lab, insist that the following are measured. You want to make sure you measure TSH, total T4, total T3, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies, typically the TPO and the antithyroglobulin antibodies. 
We want to look at the total T4 to see what the thyroid gland is producing and free T4 to see the amount that is not bound, which is off the bus. We also want to measure the total T3 to see how the liver is converting it, as well as the reverse T3 to see how much opposition we have. And finally, an incredibly important often missed level is for the free T3, which is the active hormone that we just talked about that goes into the cell. And without this number, we really don't get a full picture. By looking at all of these numbers, we can see if there's any issues with the pituitary signaling the thyroid, the thyroid producing the hormones, converting the hormones, or accepting the hormones. It's pretty amazing what we can tell from all of these numbers, even if TSH is in range. Also, it's important to remember that just as TSH has an optimal range, so do all of the other hormones. So just because nothing is highlighted in the blood test as high or low, it doesn't mean that everything is necessarily okay. Now, I want to give you the optimal ranges of where we want to be ideally. So for TSH, ideally, we want to be anywhere between about 1.8 and 3. However, if you are on thyroid medication, this tends to be even a bit lower. So typically from about 0.8 to 2. And also, if you are currently pregnant, we do want to have TSH be below 2.5. Ideally, if possible, between 1 and 2 in pregnancy. Now, for total T4, between 6 and 12. Total T3 should be ideally between 100 and 150. Free T4 should be between 1 and 1.5. And free T3 between 3 and 4. And all of these T4s and T3s, these are the ranges whether you're on medication or not. And then reverse T3 would want it to be less than 17. Now for thyroid antibodies, those are measuring if your immune system is attacking your own thyroid. So as you could probably imagine, these are things that we don't want to have. And if they're there, that means we have a condition called Hashimoto's. So ideally, we want thyroid antibodies to be undetectable or as low as possible. Now, you can, of course, take notes. But if you go to healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode 27, I'm going to put all of these in a chart for you in the show notes. Save this chart as a handy reminder of what markers to ask your doctor to run and where your levels should be so that now you can be your own health advocate. Hormone analysis is often complicated because the body is always regulating itself. And these hormone messengers are constantly responding to signals coming from all ends of the body. If you have any of the symptoms we discussed earlier in the show, ruling out thyroid dysfunction is really imperative. It's possible you will also see symptoms associated with parallel hormone systems because it is rare that thyroid hormones are off on their own and they often relate to a lot of other functions. So taking a whole body approach is best so that we can analyze the root cause of dysfunction and get you back to your old self. If you know others who may be dealing with thyroid issues or suspect they have thyroid issues or maybe we're told that thyroid is not their problem, please share this episode with them because it's possible they may not have been tested comprehensively and this can help them get all the right labs to see if thyroid is really a problem and if they're on the right support. If you enjoyed this episode and would be so kind as to post a review on iTunes, I would so appreciate it. The ratings and reviews help this podcast be shown to more people so they too can see that the answers are out there and they're not alone. When it comes to solving your health issues, don't give up. There are things you can do, and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week on Health Mystery Solved.
All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.